Yeshua came with a message of salvation and redemption for the world. This salvation was offered first to the Jewish people. However, Jewish evangelism over the past 2,000 years only seems to have distanced Yeshua from his people. Missionary is a dirty word in Judaism, and there are some good historical reasons for that. So what should we do, or what can we do to bridge the gap? Messiah Podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion, providing Messianic Jewish teaching for Christians and Jews. Put your hand in mine together We will walk in harmony Let me introduce you to my teacher The rabbi from the Galilee Welcome back to Messiah Podcast Selects, where Jesus is Jewish, and that changes everything. I'm here with an eighth of a ton of pure muscle, my co-host, Damian Eisner. Uh, how are you doing? You get, you get any sets in today? Any reps? Of course I did. That's my that's my mental conditioning for these podcasts. Yeah. So, yeah. You're mentally and physically 100%. Uh, well, that's good, because today we're dealing with a topic that is... Uh, it's a difficult topic. It's a sensitive topic. Jewish evangelism. And, oh, um, no. This is this is easy stuff. I don't know, man. I feel like no it's matter not. what we say about Jewish evangelism, um, we're going to upset somebody. But on the other hand, I think that's okay because there's a lot that needs to be said. For my part, you know, I grew up as an evangelical, like a conservative evangelical. I was homeschooled. And um, my curriculum and everything was all dispensationalist Christianity. And dispensationalism, I think a lot of dispensationalists believe that the last big thing that needs to happen before the great big party at the end of time is all of the Jews, every Jewish person needs to become a Christian. Um, so mm-hmm. missions to the Jews are like the Holy Grail. Right Now, Growing up, that was a, that felt like a normal thing to believe. But um, you're a Jewish person. Does uh, does that idea, the idea that every Jewish person needs to become a Christian, ring any alarm bells in your head? Oh yes, me and a lot of other Jews who hear that because you see, Jews becoming Christians like this. This is actually this is a problem. I was joking about this not being. Uh, controversial. Of course it's controversial. It's very sensitive. And like you said, even that statement, Jews becoming Christians is problematic. We'll, we'll expand on that at some point in this podcast, I'm sure. But I want to uh, let me take you back to when you asked me, what do I think about Jewish evangelism? I think about a young friend I had growing up in the, in the reform temple that we were attending at that time. I don't know how old I was, 10, 11. His name was Lenny. Lenny was my friend. We went to Hebrew school together. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. Our my, our parents were friends. And one day, Lenny was gone. Lenny did not come to Hebrew school. His parents no longer attended the shul. I didn't really know what had happened to Lenny. I heard some talk, and it didn't sound good. I knew the word Jesus was involved. And when that's happening in a Jewish setting, that is not good. And what had happened is the missionaries had gotten Lenny and his family. Right. And to many people listening, that might be like, oh, praise God, Lenny and his family became Christians. But you see, 
You need to understand that from the other side. Lenny was my Jewish friend. My grand, my grandfather and Lenny's grandfather were went, went way back. We had this strong Jewish relationship in chemistry and culture, and that died. That was gone because now Lenny went to a church. Lenny had become a Christian. Lenny was no longer, for a number of reasons, one of which probably being he was told that they weren't Jewish anymore or that they could lay all that stuff down. Lenny was gone and he wasn't a Jew. And yeah. that hurt. And it hurts Jews still today. Yeah. And I think you really hit on the crux of the problem here. You know, if a, if an Ethiopian person becomes a Christian, that's not one fewer Ethiopian. But if right. a Jewish person, historically, for 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 most of the past two thousand years, a Jewish person becoming a Christian does mean one fewer Jewish person. Right. Um, and if you take that to its logical conclusion, saying every Jewish person needs to become a Christian sounds like you're saying we need to have no more Jewish people, which is. Uh, horrific, uh, but that's what 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 else is going to happen if if you want all the Jews to convert to Christianity and they can't remain Jewish? Listen, let's let's just embrace the controversy here. That is kind of what I think a large percentage of people in the Christian community think Paul was all about. Yeah, Judaism's done. Yeah, we don't need. Judaism anymore. Judaism died along with the Torah and, you know, the, 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 the sacrifices and every other thing. It died. We don't need it. So yeah, you don't need to be a Jew anymore. You just become a Christian. Yeah. So uh, about, what, maybe 70 years ago, um, a guy named Avram Polyak, um, just being, being aware of, of the, the 2000 years of conflict around Jewish evangelism and, and the myriads of of Jewish people who had been forced to convert, or you know, tricked into converting, or um, you know, just the, the sordid the sordid history of of Christian persecution of Jews and uh, and and not you know, and evangelism that's not overtly persecution, but but has this dark undertone of of removing Jewish identity. Avram Polyak, he's a Messianic Jew in Israel. He's he's. He's in Israel, yeah, and he's uh, he's all in for Judaism. He's all in for Yeshua, and of course, he has a heart for the Jewish people. Of course, he wants to see the Jewish people recognize Yeshua as their Messiah. However, he is he's also aware that you can't just say all the Jews need to become Christians, and it's he he, he sees that it's not going to work. There's there's a lot of antipathy has built up, a lot of resentment. Um, so he came up with what I'll call, I guess, an alternative to traditional Jewish evangelism. And he summed it up with seven stages of reconciling Jewish people with Jesus. So a few years ago, our founder and director, Boaz Michael, gave a talk about these seven stages of Jewish reconciliation at a, at a, at a First Fruits event. And our select today, our uh, the 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 thing we're featuring is this talk by Boaz, in which he 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 explains these and expounds on them, and and sort of gets us up to date on where we're at with these seven stages of reconciliation. 
want to know the Jewish Jesus, don't miss out on a free subscription to Messiah Magazine, where you'll discover his life and teaching, learn about the biblical festivals, and get connected with Israel. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. Messiah Magazine is a free, donation-supported quarterly publication of First Fruits of Zion. I'm going to be presenting seven stages or steps of reconciliation. I'm going to be drawing from some of the work of Avram Polyak. I'll introduce you to his key thought here in a second. Um, but reconciliation is bringing things together, restoring things, you know, making uh, parties that were once separate um, you know, back together, bringing a bond, a closeness, reconciling. And I want to present the idea of time as a force. Time as a force. In fact, time may be one of the greatest forces. That through time, uh, we see change. Through consistency within those minutes, those hours, those weeks, those months, we see change. We can bring reconciliation. Paul Philip Levertov says this, He says, like dense hedges of thorns, opposition and prejudice rise up between Judaism and Christianity. One cannot pass through without a difficult struggle and painful wounds. An exchange of religious thoughts between the harshly sundered worlds of Judaism and Christianity appears difficult. Appears difficult. So what he's saying here is that there's a a dense hedge of thorns that is like been erected between Judaism and Christianity. And one can't pass through this hedge without difficult struggle and painful, painful wounds. This is true. This is true. There has been this wall that has been erected between Judaism and Christianity or people of the Torah and people of the Messiah belief in Yeshua as the Messiah, and it's nearly impossible to have a dialogue or discussion about one or the other in those two separate camps. And this is where we in Messianic Judaism find ourselves. We are on this dual mission, this dual mission. We are concerning ourselves with two separate reconciliations at the same time, or at least we should be. Reconciling Yeshua as the Messiah back to his people, as a brother as a brother, as a, as a teacher within the framework of the Jewish people, as the Messiah. And we're trying to reconcile the nations back to their relationship to the people of Israel, to the Messiah of Israel, to the Torah of Israel. And every one of us that have, are a part of this, we have this dual mission that's taking place. We believe this to be true. This is a Polyak quote. He says, If the Bible is true and Yeshua is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, then the Messianic Jewish movement is the most important phenomenon of our time. It's a distinguishing feature indicating the world has come to a turning point. We are part of the Messianic Jewish movement, and what is so important about our phenomena? Perhaps it's that we are in that center place, and we are equipped and qualified, knowledgeable, to communicate to these two different worlds to bring reconciliation. Restoring the Jewish people back to their Messiah and restoring the nations back 
to the people of Israel, the foundations of Israel. Messianic Judaism offers a message of prophetic reconciliation to both the Jewish people about the Jewish Messiah and to the people of the nations about God's end-time plan and promises through the people and the scriptures of Israel. But the truths represented by Messianic Judaism, the revelation that we've received by the grace of God, cannot be handled cavalierly. They raise profound implications. They must be studied. They must be understood. And they must be carefully communicated. Those of us in Messianic Judaism, we must be serious and devout about what we represent. Messianic Judaism should not be about circle dancing, shofar blowing, crazy, like that type of stuff. It should be about devout study of God's word, of reconciling our lives back to a biblical foundation of mitzvot. That's what should be the earmark, the trademark, the brand of Messianic Judaism. That takes patience, it takes seriousness, it takes, it takes, like, it takes us all being measured and making sure that every step, every decision, every choice, every taking on of a mitzvah, everything that we do comes with thought and care and consideration of the implications and all of these things so we represent something, I think, profound. We feel that Messianic Judaism and the Messianic Jewish perspective is the most important phenomena of our time. Its truth is so precious that we should not spoil it by disrespectfully asserting ourselves, belittling others, but rather embracing the truth for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and who humbles himself will be exalted. Paul Philip Levertov says that the truth of Messianic Judaism, Yeshua faith, is far too majestic to establish itself upon the, uh, the, the appreciation of its rivals. That what we represent is so beautiful and so profound that we actually diminish that glory of that truth by trying to establish it by besmirching others. About a year ago, uh, we came across this quote from uh, Avram Polyak that, in my opinion, and I think in our staff's opinion, is absolutely profound. It, it defined in many ways, uh, or it articulated in many ways, everything that we felt in the most beautiful simplicity. And I want to share this with you because this is what we are calling the seven steps or seven stages of reconciliation. Please write this down. Please embed this in your brain because this is the process in which we are engaged in. This is what we're doing. Here's the quote. It says, Never have the Jewish people been so near to the idea of the kingship of Jesus but we must not demand too much at once. History does not leap. It's a law step by step. The Jewish people as a whole will not at once accept Jesus as their Messiah, but they will first cease to condemn him. Then they will begin to think about him, recognize him as their brother, their teacher, and at last acknowledge him as a prophet, the Jew who is the central figure. When he is indeed acknowledged as a prophet... And the Jew who is the central figure by thoughtful Jews, it is only one step from being the central figure to the kingship from prophet to Messiah. 
So he outlines seven stages, seven steps of Jewish reconciliation back to Yeshua. He says that the Jewish people will first cease to condemn him. They will begin to think about him. They will recognize him as their brother, accept him as a teacher, acknowledge him as a prophet, understand him to be the Jew who is the central figure, kingship, and the Messiah. I want to briefly walk through these seven steps. When we talk about cease to condemn him, I would say overall, um, by and large, most Jews don't even consider Jesus. It's not even part of their worldview or their thought. But when they do interact in some way, it's always in a way of condemnation or negativity. What does cease to condemn him sound like? What, does, what is our goal? What place do we want to bring the Jewish people as a whole to through our work? Let me read you what that would look like in our mind. This comes from uh, Lichtenstein. This is, this is his impression. He said, For observant Jews, the New Testament is kept out of the house, shunned, condemned, without being heard, read, tested, or examined, I possessed the same prejudice. I not only rallied in my innermost heart with the New Testament when the New Testament was spoken of, but I also objected vocally and contemptuously. I had branded the New Testament the muddiest source of pride, overweening selfishness, hatred, the worst kinds of violence. But as I by chance or better still, through God's leading, opened the New Testament, I felt myself being particularly and wonderfully possessed. A sudden clearness, a light flashed through my soul. And when the electric shock and the scales fell off my eyes like a blind man, it was to me as encouraging as a health to one who was in sore sickness, as freedom to a prisoner in fetters. I looked for thorns and I gathered roses. I discovered pearls instead of pebbles. Heavenly treasure instead of hate, I found love instead of vengeance, forgiveness instead of bondage, freedom instead of pride, humility instead of enmity, reconciliation instead of death, salvation and restoration. That's what ceasing to condemn him would sound like. That everything they thought is completely transformed to something else. I looked for pebbles and I found pearls. I looked for thorns, and I found roses. The work that we are doing uh, through the Brahm Center, the work that we're doing through the Basorot Tovot, the Hebrew Gospels, is working in each one of these different levels to have them engage the teachings of Messiah in which they can then start to cease to condemn him and begin to think about him. At some stage, the Jewish people as a whole will begin to consider and think about him, no longer ignoring him. The New Testament has been a forbidden book or a sealed book for the Jewish people for many centuries. And there has not historically been any type of robust theology that presents Jesus to the Jewish people in a thoroughly Jewish way to cause them to think about him. My son Jeremiah is in his master's program at Bar-Ilan University in Talmudic Studies. He is frequently surprised 
how much his class and his students and his teachers engage with New Testament texts. They're not afraid of it. They engage it. They utilize it. He writes reports on it, gets A's. Um, there's no problem with the New Testament. Now, they're studying it from a, 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 a literature point of view, comparison to the Talmudic text, the time periods, these types of things. Uh, his uh, professor wrote a paper on weak and strong from 1 Corinthians on Paul's text. So the New Testament is there. They're beginning to think about him. It's in high schools. It's in universities. It's, it, it's throughout the land of Israel. The land of Israel has created a platform for Jews to engage these types of studies and topics in security. They're not threatened by the insecurities that the diaspora has created. So they're beginning to think about him. Soon one day, God willing, they'll recognize him as their brother. One famous uh, situation happened uh, a couple of years ago with uh, Rabbi Riskin. He published a YouTube video where he called Yeshua a good Jewish teacher, a rabbi, and that he was trying to bring other Jews to the Messiah. Now, he quickly, a few days later, like, said that that was a mistake that was never intended to be published. He was talking to Christians, whatever. But he said it. He said it. And it was this brief moment of time where we heard um, a, a, a great teacher in Israel say wonderful and positive things about Yeshua as a fellow Jew. And this actually happens frequently throughout different levels of, of scholarship and books and publications and these types of things. They'll begin to accept him as a teacher. I mentioned as well this book by Rabbi Cordozo. It's called Jewish Law as Rebellion. Jewish Law's Rebellion. This book, in my opinion, is a critical book for us, uh, not, not everyone, but, but many of us involved in, in Messianic Jewish works to get to understand and to utilize, uh, to learn from. Rabbi Cordozo is a, is a, is a well-respected uh, Orthodox rabbi. I consider him one of my teachers. I glean from him. I appreciate his work. But one of the things he's putting forward, the primary thrust of this book is basically a challenge to the rabbinute in Israel. So it's an internal discussion where he's challenging the rabbinute and some of the standards that have been uh, set up for the Jewish people in terms of observance. And he's saying that Jewish law has exceeded its intention and is making Judaism a burden. And that if the rabbinute doesn't change and address issues like of halacha, like properly, that Judaism will no longer be an appeal to people and Judaism will lose its bearings. This uh, is multifaceted. So maybe a couple years ago now, a restaurant in the Shuk called Pasta Basta um, had a certificate of being kosher from the rabbinute. And they would have Orthodox people come and eat food there because they could see it, uh, the, the certificate that they were kosher. But the owners of Pasta Basta said, we are paying a lot of money to have this certificate here. And the guys at the Rabbinute, they never come in and check our ovens. They don't check our processes. They just ask us for money all the time. Money, 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 money. And they're not helping us actually be a kosher establishment. And this is, you know, this is what's happening across the board. So Pasta Basta said, you know what? We're no longer going to pay for the certificate. We will be considered a non-kosher restaurant. 
But we want everybody to know our food is kosher. But we're just not going to be part of this system. And they started like this mini revolution in Jerusalem where a lot of restaurants began to do this. And a secondary kashrut service popped up and began to actually observe and watch and go in and help these restaurants and give a certificate to be, a, a, like, to, to be like a kosher considered by this particular vod or this particular thing. And they consider this instance with what took place the breaking of the rabbinut. Now, that's not something I'm saying in a, like, all right, t- you know, tearing down the rabbis. I'm talking about challenge within the system because the system became broken. One of the, one of the statements that Rabbi Cordozo says in his book, he says, you know, we take our boys, and we put them through yeshiva, we teach them all about halacha, and the halacha forms this beautiful body, this beautiful body. But what they don't realize is they're looking at a corpse because there's no soul in it. Now, that's a harsh statement. And that sounds like, you know, Rabbi Cordozo saying, like, halacha is bad and all this stuff. But he's not. What he's saying is, is that we need, to, we need to really think this out. We have to be intentful. We have to be spiritual. We have to teach our boys in the yeshiva to think about things, not just do things. That's what halacha is. And it's this, it's this book, and when you're reading this, you're saying, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I've heard similar challenges and similar concerns before. And then you realize that you're hearing words very similar to some of the challenges that, put, that Yeshua put forward. He wasn't trying to destroy halacha. He wasn't trying to take away from the Torah. He was trying to say, wait a minute, there's, we want to make sure that we're doing this right, that we're not just having a body with no soul. So when we talk about accepting him as a teacher, I think it is incumbent upon us to be able to link the teachings of Yeshua to teachings like what Rabbi Cordozo is putting together and putting forward. Because what it does is it in many ways shows that he was not doing what he's been accused of doing, but he is in the very much, Rabbi Cordozo is very much in the same spirit as a reformer a challenger to make sure that the Jewish people are not just doing things, but they're being the people of God. Reading Rabbi Cordozo's book is, is phenomenal on that level. It's powerful. This next stage of acknowledging him as a prophet, this is one of, I think, one of our most important descriptives of who Yeshua is. And I have to give Aaron Eby the credit for the brilliance of, of making this connection because it's allowed us to articulate Yeshua within thoroughly Jewish terms of redemption. Comparing him and paralleling him to the prophet Jeremiah, the destruction of the first temple, the destruction of the second temple, talking about how redemption works is seeking and hearing from the prophet Yeshua and going back and repenting for not listening to the words and the teachings of the prophet Yeshua. I wish I had, I, I wish I had time and liberty to spend on this topic itself because when we talk to Jewish people at the Brahm Center, when we're engaged in discussions, this is all we talk about, this point right here, because this makes sense to Jewish people. 
And it brings Yeshua closer to the Jewish people when we cast him in this framework as a prophet of the destruction of the temple. They did not listen. The destruction came. We are currently in the exile. How do we get out of exile? How do we get the temple reestablished? We go back to the prophet that forecast the destruction. And we listen to his words. At some point, God willing, the Jewish people will acknowledge and see Yeshua as the central Jewish figure. That the, as it said, the entire world was created on behalf of Messiah and then linking Messiah to Yeshua and seeing how he is at the center place of the redemption and the hope and the glory of the people of Israel. And then this is the stage that we all long for, kingship and messiahship. So at First Roots of Zion and Vine of David and the Brahm Center and now through uh, Torah Club, through all of these efforts, we're fighting to remove all of the obstacles that have been created by us, the church, our forefathers, the world, that stop the Jewish people from reconciling and recognizing Yeshua as a brother, as a teacher, as a prophet. We're active in every one of these layers. And we're working through this dense hedge of thorns. And we're struggling. Classic Jewish evangelism skips points one through six. And they go directly to point seven. And they tell Jews to accept Jesus as the King and the Messiah. That's exactly what happens. And what happens when that is done is we turn Jews into Christians because they do not recognize him as a brother, as a teacher, as a prophet, the central figure. We don't reconcile them back to the Jewish people and back to the idea of Jesus as the brother and the teacher and the prophet of the people of Israel. We just have them go right to point seven and accept him as the king and the Messiah and we turn Jews into Christians. That's what takes place. This is why it's important that all of us are engaged in each one of these levels because the work that we're doing of restoring him back into the proper Jewish framework is enabling us to communicate him on all of those levels. A few months ago, I was sharing these seven points at the Brahm Center. And I was sharing it to a, a group of Dutch pastors, uh, I think about 30 pastors from Holland, that are part of a center in Holland that uh, is uh, in relationship with the Brahm Center, where they send their pastors to uh, the Brahm Center uh, two times a year to hear uh, various lectures and teachings. And uh, we shared this list. And the, one of the ladies got so excited, she stood up in the middle of the lecture and she ran to the, the board where we had the screen and the list. She interrupted the teaching. She took over the class. Um, and she said, look at this. Look at this. She said, this is exactly who, what we need to do. Uh, you know, Boaz is here sharing about reconciling Yeshua back to the Jewish people, but, but consider this. How about we as Christians, our reconciliation, 
that we cease to condemn them, the Jewish people. That we begin to think about them, the Jewish people. That we recognize them as our brother. That we accept them as our teacher or as a teacher. We acknowledge them as a prophetic people. The Jewish people as the central figure in God's plan and kingship and the Messiah, that the Jewish people are no longer, or they're the head, they're no longer the tail, and the Jewish Messiah is the Jewish Messiah. So these seven points of reconciliation are what we're laboring towards. All of these things are a critical part of the restoration that we long for, and time is a force, and time will allow us with God's help, the ability to change and transform the world for the sake of the King. Torah Club is the world's fastest growing Messianic Jewish Bible study. You can start or join a club today at TorahClub.org. Know Jesus better through an in-depth small group Bible study and fellowship with other like-minded disciples. Start a club or join a club at TorahClub.org. Torah Club is where disciples learn. Well, what a fantastic talk by Boaz based on just one sentence from Avram Poliak about these seven stages, which again, to recap, um, are that someday the Jewish people will cease to condemn Yeshua. They'll begin to think about him. They'll recognize him as their brother, accept him as a teacher, acknowledge him as a prophet, acknowledge him as a Jew who is the central figure. And then finally, kingship and the Messiah, which sounds like two, but um, long-time long time listeners uh, will know that Messiah comes from Mashiach, which means anointed, and it's a reference to the, the kingly anointing, like when Samuel anointed Saul or when Samuel anointed David or Zadok anointed Solomon, just a kingly anointing. But anyway, you know, I think a key takeaway here is that, well, first of all, I love that Avram Poliak wants to see Jewish people follow Yeshua. He's not un, like principally against reintroducing Jesus to the Jewish people. He's all for it. However, like the point is, you can't skip these first six steps because of everything that's happened over the past 2,000 years. You can't skip these first six steps and just jump right to, hey, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. You have to start with that first one, cease to, cease to condemn him. Why did they condemn Yeshua in the first place? Because um, they've been told he wants to get rid of Judaism and get rid of Jewish identity. And th this has to be cleared up first. You have to start with this this first step and not um, and not skip to the end. It's interesting. He's condemned not because of what he said, but because what other people have said about him. Hmm. That 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 clarification is easy to make, but you the people who are presenting Yeshua to Jewish people, they first need to know who Yeshua actually is. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's been a problem for millennia. 
that the identity of Jesus was radically changed within three centuries uh, of his resurrection. Yeah, it went off. It went off the rails remarkably quickly, um, and the reasons behind that. I mean, when you get into the scholarship, it's it's interesting, but it's also kind of heartbreaking to see how quickly um, we, the followers of Jesus, uh, forgot that he was a Jewish rabbi who came to the Jewish people with a message that during his his however many years, you know, we we think it was about three years. Um, walking and talking amongst his people, his mission was exclusively to the Jewish people. Uh-huh. He came to them first, and he came, he came, as the Bible says, he came to his own. His own didn't receive him, but that's who he came for. And we're fortunate that God has, has blessed us by opening up the mission to the Gentiles and doing everything he did through through Paul and his missionary journeys. But it's easy to forget that that, that even for Paul— the message of the gospel goes to the Jewish people first, because that's like that's the center. That's the whole. I mean, our whole radial proleptic ecclesiology that we're not going to get into here. But um, <laughs> you, you, it's it's into it didn't make sense to what like the second or third generation of disciples, and they just sort of forgot that that the whole Jewish element. And with that gone, you have to you have to almost make something up and. All the images of Jesus that I see today, and I wrote about this in a, in a book called Yeshua Matters. You know, all the images of Jesus I see today, we've got Democrat Jesus, Republican Jesus, white Jesus, and black Jesus. And he's not hes not any of those things. We make we have to fill in the gap of the things we don't understand. We have to fill it in with something. And so we just sort of project the things we like onto Jesus because we, we, we think that, you know, that, that's, a, that's a Jesus we can live with. We need to remember that he is a Jewish rabbi, and that that's we need to to change our vision of of who he is. Those things that that people did not like about Jesus early on were many of the Jewish things which were written out of the story. And so, to 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 the point we're making here, those things have to be embraced by Christians. Yeah. Um, to be able to to present, and I'm not really talking about like the historical Jesus that that whole uh, that was an important that was an important transition in biblical scholarship that, that I think you know so much opened some of the doors that have led us to where we are to even be having a podcast like this about re redefining identifying Jesus, but we that it has to start there so that they can cease to condemn him and begin to think about him. Because back to Lenny, back to the synagogue, you just don't say Jesus. It's a bad word. Jesus is a bad word, okay? And yeah. my goodness, like you're talking about Poliak and his his passion for Jewish people to know Yeshua, recognize him as brother, accept him as teacher, prophet, Jew as central figure, kingship and Messiah. But he understands that he understands the corrective that must be applied. And we too are big fans of Jews becoming disciples of Yeshua. But and here's the bombshell I want to throw at you. Okay. Are, are, are we fans of Jews becoming Christians? Um See, that's really the that's really the issue, isn't it? It sort of depends on what you mean by the word Christian, right? Because 
again, for most of the past 2,000 years, Christian was synonymous with like not Jewish. Like you couldn't be both. You couldn't be a Jewish Christian. You couldn't, you had to leave it behind. Not even just like the religious aspect, but you had to leave behind Jewish identity. So if by Christian you mean not Jewish anymore, um, we're not fans. <laughs> but if by Christian you just mean like follower of Yeshua, then sure. But the, the the Jewish identity can't be lost. And of course, here at First Roots, we, we would say even observance can't be lost. We, we You can't abandon the Torah to follow Yeshua. The, you, 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 it's not a pick one or the other. You, you almost, it's, it's, it's all or nothing. You know, you, we, we want both. We want to see both because that's, you know, that's what God has, has, has um, decreed for his people. I, I, I will never, ever say a disparaging word about Christian or church. So please let me preface this statement with that. But Christian, well, you shouldn't say that and then say but, because then I just totally <laughs> undid the first part. So let me yeah. say and, yeah, um, yeah. But, but what I mean is Christian has a certain connotation. And as you said, yeah. it is it is not Jewish. And so if you say, when a Jewish person hears someone say, a, here's a, another Jew say, I'm a Christian now, that means here's the connotation. I don't go to synagogue on Saturday anymore. I don't observe Shabbat. Now I go to church on Sunday. I do not follow the, the biblical diet. These are easy examples. I don't follow the bibli- biblical dietary laws because Jesus did away with all of those. I'm not doing the festivals, the Moedim, the the appointments of God anymore, because Paul said those went away. Those were just a shadow of the Messiah. So I'm not doing those. I'm now doing Christmas and Easter. And that's not a slam on Christmas and Easter. I'm just saying those aren't Jewish holidays. Okay. So the connotation of Christian to a Jew, you, you can't be that. You can't be a Jew and a Christian if that's what being a Christian means. Yeah. But if Christian means, as it did in the original, in its original context of just being a disciple of Messiah Christos, then yeah. But that that was lost in translation a long, long, long time ago because of what we're talking about with the with the departure, the so-called parting of the ways where Jews and Christians, yeah, different animals. But to be fair, our own, as a Messianic Jew, you know, I'm called a Christian by my traditional Jewish brothers and sisters because they too sort of subscribe to the idea that you can't be both. Mm-hmm. You know, but, yeah, but that's and, and, again is the wrong definition of of Christian. Yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we have to, as long as that misapprehension persists, as long as everybody thinks becoming a Christian means not being Jewish anymore, we're going to be stuck at stage one because what that says about Jesus is he came to to get rid of Judaism and to get rid of Jewish identity. He's a Jewish um, soul stealer. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as, so, I mean, how how long do we want to be stuck at stage one? I think it's interesting that um, a lot of the people who have moved past stage one are like PhDs, yeah. like these, 
like Jewish and Christian scholars, sort of, sort of rubbing shoulders in academia, discovering, you know, they, they just taking years and years studying the text, studying the context, studying the history, getting these you know, archaeological discoveries and all, everything that's contributed to our, our knowledge, our realization that Jesus is Jewish. You know, that whole, that whole interfaith dialogue uh, in our time, I think really started or it seems to me to have started in academia, which, oh, yeah. you know, of all the, of all the places, um, <laughs> you know, the, the dry, the driest academic literature you've ever read on this stuff. It, it, to, it's just like a, you know, it's like finding a diamonds buried in the sand, you know, like this incredibly important to the daily life and faith of every follower of Jesus. It's, it's unfortunate on one hand that a lot of that information was tied up in these difficult to read, difficult to access academic material. And I think that's one of the things I like best about um, First Fruit Zion, not to like toot our own horn or anything, but um, to have our, our guys dig into that stuff and they, and then, then like we make it easy to understand. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And, and, and that's like such a critical part. I mean, when you, <laughs> Podcast listeners, just hear me out here. That that lecture you heard by Boaz, it may not be all of what we're trying to do here at First Fruits, but it's a humongous part of it. Repairing Jesus's reputation among the Jewish people by revealing to all of his followers, everyone in the church, who he really is, who what he really came to do, the lifestyle he lived, his his plan for the Jewish people his own Jewishness, his observance of the Torah, bringing all this back into our popular consciousness in the church is so important. And it's like, it's win-win because we're all better followers of Jesus if we understand and know him better. And finally, we'll be able to repair this breach between Jesus and his people. We'll get to move past this stage one of of having Jesus and, and missionary be like dirty words amongst mm. the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. That that was worth listening to for me and all the podcast listeners, what you just said right there. Because, you know, I think about just to, to a, l- a little personal highlight, the church is incredibly successful at evangelism okay but here's how evangelism worked in my life i i was in a really bad place and somebody told me jesus could help me Mm. but you know where that person was who told me that the catholic church wow uh the catholic student center at louisiana state university actually all right i don't know the pastor's the priest's name but he was a he was a beautiful asian soul, this Catholic priest who I used to go and and listen to and talk. But you know what? That evangelism worked, but it worked to take me out of Judaism for about 12 years. Mm. And I was incomplete, and I was Lenny all of a sudden, (laughs) which was ironic. And eventually my family came that way, but it was my dad who realized I am Jewish. I can't, this can't be washed out of me. It's not like I, you know, I, this is who I am. And so it was my dad who kind of brought us back into the Jewish fold. 
Um, mm. But he had to study the historical perspective on Jesus. He had to see Jesus as a Jew um, to, to put these pieces together, to, to cease to condemn him, to begin to think about him, to recognize him as a brother and accept him as a teacher. And when we get the church, the question is, how do we, what you're saying, how do we help the church complete their evangelistic mission that that is such a huge deal? Well, uh, help them see Jesus for who he really is, because when you can when you can show a Jewish person that, when you can help them to go through these steps without feeling like they're going to lose their soul, in essence, it's kind of an ironic way to phrase it, because you know we talk about saving souls, mm-hmm. but to a to a Jewish to a traditional Jewish person, literally, you hear the term Jewish soul. I, I they're, they're taking Jewish souls, they're killing Jewish souls. That's what evangelism is perceived as. So if we can help people not, Jewish people, not to stop being Jewish, continue to go to synagogue, and like many of our luminaries who continued to function in rabbinic leadership positions as full-on observant Jews and maintained a faith that Yeshua was the coming king, step seven, king and Messiah, a Jew who is the central figure. I think we've made some headway in steps one through four. Yeah. Five through seven, there's a lot of work to be done still, but it does so much have to do with what we can, what we can teach the, the Christian community. Yeah. There's, it's, it's not as bad as it used to be. There has been progress and not just in academia, but there's, 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 there has been a shift in the popular consciousness, I think to some degree, but, um, there's so much, there's so much work left to do. Like the average, you know, I live out here in the middle of nowhere and the pastor where I, where I attend church and help out with the music in, in one of the, the, just to, just to a one horse town, you know what I mean? Um, he knows a lot of this stuff. He, he is clued into a lot of it. Um, because I, partly, I think because I keep talking to him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the average, the average churchgoer, I mean, how much of this is really, really weighs on their consciousness. The, the, I mean, I think most of us, even before we get to the learning, we have so much to unlearn. I mean, it took me years and years and years of of having to process what, what what does Paul mean when he says this? What does he mean? You know, not by works of the law. What does he mean abolishing the commandment contained in ordinances? Ephesians two, like what what does all this stuff mean? What is he really talking about? If he's not talking about getting rid of the Torah, getting rid of Judaism, mm-hmm. you know, each one of these misconceptions that we that we inherit is difficult to 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 rectify much less the whole you know the whole big picture um that being said you know it's thousands and thousands of people have made it happen um but i don't know sometimes i feel like the bulk of the work is yet to come i mean like we're just getting started on this agreed because some of the first steps are now available to us 
because of whether it's academia, whether it's um, there are traditional rabbis who speak highly of Yeshua, who write books about the New Testament and engage, like um, Boaz was talking about in the lecture at Jeremiah's University. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's. It, I wouldn't say it's safe space to be talking about Jesus, but it's acceptable space within Judaism. Part of that is because Jewish Christian relations have have improved so much over the last few probably I don't know, 50 years, um, that that there's less of that dishonesty, you know, that yeah. that 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 tainted the tricking, the forced conversions, the the all that stuff that was historically so prevalent, Mur- murdering Jews who who wouldn't uh, accept Jesus. That's the ultimate irony. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Just on that side note, I want to I want to point out something that does not work because the day before we recorded this podcast, someone gave me a tract. Uh, a, a guy had, I needed some work done and, and he was a locksmith and he showed up and asked me in conversation, what do you do? I'm a rabbi. Rabbi. Oh, wow. Like super excitement. But do you know what the excitement was? A Jew. I got to make him a Christian. I got to make oh. him a Christian. Oh, okay? So he gave me a track, but you know what the first paragraph said? The Bible says we are all wicked, desperate sinners headed straight for hell. You have no choice. You are going to burn in hell. In essence is what it was saying. Now, I, that's not a new message to me. I've heard that a lot growing up in the traditional Jewish days before Messianic Judaism. But I do just want to say as a side note, that's not a good evangelism technique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly to, to, a, to a Jewish person. I mean, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. There is a practical, there's a practical, um, and and we've hit it throughout this, and Boaz hit it, but most of all, Avram Polyak hit it. You know, the average Christian participating in this reconciliation process, how does this happen? Well, I do want to make, you said we're not going to toot the horn of First Roots of Zion, but I want to toot it just a little bit. Yeah. Um, because over the last two years, we've been doing this Torah club called Jesus My Rabbi. Hmm. which I have talked to so many Christians who have had their, their, their worldview, their, their spiritual awareness, their connection to God, their understanding of the Bible, their engagement with all things good and God transformed by going through the process of getting to know who Yeshua is versus Jesus. Hmm. And, Anyone who's willing to do that can make a can can have an impact. It may not be like notches on your belt of saving Jewish souls, but it is about help Jewish people cease to condemn him, to begin to think about him, recognize him as their brother, accept him as teacher. You know, those steps are so important and they've been they've been out of bounds for so long. Yeah. So there's an application there that every disciple of Yeshua has some obligation to be able to really do this better. Well, yeah, I think you make a good point. Um, I remember like growing up, because again, I grew up evangelical and everyone, 
everyone has to be a missionary. You know, I went on a mission trip. I went on a mission trip to Australia, you know, the the heathen lands of Australia where they've never heard of Jesus. We took the gospel to uh, to the Blue Mountains around Sydney. Um, and, you know, lots and lots of kids filled out cards and it was great. Um, it, you know, I'm sure we made an impact, but it's like the the pressure is there in the evangelical church. You got to do evangelism. You know, I, I got a I have two degrees from Liberty University, and they talk about you have classes on evangelism. Everyone's got to be an evangelist. Everyone's got to get there. I'm, I'm like, I don't even want to talk to people most of the time, right? Like, I'm an introvert. I like to read books. I like to write. I'm an, I'm an editor. Um, you know, get, get going door to door and a podcast host who talks, um, I'll make an exception for, for the podcast, but, um, okay. Because you're here, Damien, I can open up as long as you're here with me. But, um, <laughs> the, the pressure, I, I, when I was a sophomore, um, at Pensacola Christian college as a, as a ministry major, I had to do like local evangelism. I had to go door to door like every week. Mm-hmm. And I could, every time I would knock on someone's door, I just could feel like, oh, you know, if you screw this up, they're going to hell or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's an incredible like weight to put on yourself. And one thing I really like about these seven stages of, of reconciliation is it's so much like for me, it's so much easier mentally and like socially to think, well, all I have to do, if I, if I can just get someone to realize that Jesus is not their enemy, right? Mm-hmm. If I can just get someone to take one step like that, that's maybe all I need to do. Like, maybe that's all I can do, but like, maybe that's all God expects me to do. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to win this person completely over in this conversation. Like, I, I don't have to feel this, the stress of someone's eternal destiny. Um, all I, all I have to do, I mean, is something much easier, which is just, oh, you know, did you, did you know Jesus actually didn't come to, to do with Judaism? He's, he, he, he's, he practiced Judaism. He's, he's kosher, you know, mm-hmm. um, just to get that, that, to get that word out. I don't know. I don't know. To me, there's a lot less pressure there behind that. And it seems more like a more realistic goal. I agree with that. Yeshua talked to people. That's, that's sort of how it worked. Um, there are times when he has great conversations with people and there's no mention of uh, your eternal destiny it depends on before I leave, you need to acknowledge this and say that I'm your Lord and Savior and let me take up residence in your heart. Yeah. There's places where he doesn't do any of that. He just heals them. And, you know, uh, but but your version of evangelism and what you're taught and what so many people are taught is step seven, say it. It's over. Kingship, Messiah, done. Doesn't work with Jewish people. That's that's it. It may on very, very, very rare occasions. And I'm being pretty opinionated and bold in, in saying that, but I've been around a lot of Jewish people. And so step seven evangelism without that Yeshua engagement conversation, walking through. And if it is, like you said, even one seed that you get to plant by saying, hey, did you know Yeshua X, did you know Jesus X, Y, Z, whatever the thing is. But to, yeah. but to the point that I have beaten to death here, you got yeah. to know X, Y, Z. You got to know yeah. what who he is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this is true. I think, and I think you can think about it on two levels, right? Um, like, 
any individual person listening to this podcast can go, can can go access our access our resources, learn all about the New Testament from a Jewish perspective, you know, figure this stuff out, and then make individual impacts in the lives of other people. Like this, these seven stages can happen in the life of an individual person. Sure. Like one Jewish person can realize Jesus isn't their enemy, cease to condemn, begin to think about him, et cetera. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, that happening on an individual level enough times, then you start to get like big, big movement, right? Like if, like the goal obviously is that all the Christians would see Jesus for who he is, to see him as, as Yeshua, the rabbi from Nazareth. And the goal is that Jewish people would also see him for who he is. He's the rabbi from Nazareth. He's he's the the promised king who's coming again. Mm-hmm. But th- this mass this mass movement, you know, the think, thinking about what if what if every Baptist or every Presbyterian or every Episcopalian or every Catholic saw Jesus for who he is? I mean, that seems like an insurmountable goal. It does. But but what about just one? What one Baptist or, or or one Methodist? Right? That's suddenly this is suddenly this is doable. At the risk of being cliche, it started with twelve. So yeah, you know, <laughs> let's yeah. Let, let's start with one tomorrow in a conversation, and you may be able to go through all seven of these steps with with someone, or you might just get to one or two or three, but let someone else take up the work. The, the harvest is rich. The workers are few. Um, we're the, we're the workers. So anyway, I, I, this is, this is a really, really, really important discussion. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have had it and I hope it is beneficial for someone who's thinking, you know, how do I, how, how, how do how do I do this? I I want yeah. to ha- I want to see, and I'm saying personally, I want to see Jews become disciples of King Yeshua. That's important. First Roots of Zion is, you know, we're invested in the mission to Jews and Gentiles, but we're going to do Jewish evangelism, quote Jewish evangelism, in a Jewish way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one. That's one of the things I love best about uh, Polyak is he was completely straightforward in saying, "Yep, we we want to see Jews recognize Jesus as the Messiah." However, like you said, it happens in Judaism. Mm, yeah, that's it. Well, thanks for listening to Messiah Podcast. We've got lots more to come in future episodes, so watch this space. Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Tell your friends about us and give us a five-star rating on the podcast aggregator of your choice. And we'll see you next time. Shalom. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. This podcast is an extension of Messiah Magazine, available at messiahmagazine.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review along with a five-star rating wherever you're listening now. Today's podcast was hosted by myself, Jacob Franzak, along with Damian Eisner. Our executive producer is Boaz Michael, and the editor-in-chief is Daniel Lancaster. This episode was directed and edited by Jeremy Schoenwald. Original music was written and performed by Joshua Aaron. 
The show notes for Messiah Podcast were edited by Candy Bishop and are available at messiahpodcast.org. If you are interested in learning more about the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out Torah Club, which is an international network of small study groups who meet weekly to study the Bible together from a Messianic Jewish perspective. To start a club or join a club, go to torahclub.org. Until next time, Shalom. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea